0: Good morning, Northridge Life Church. Um, I'm so thankful, so grateful uh, that we can be together this morning and celebrate the risen life of our Savior. Celebrate some of the greatest words ever spoken. The words that the angels um, spoke to the women at the tomb. Why do you search for the living among the dead? He is not here For He has risen, just as He said. And we're going to celebrate that this morning. We're going to celebrate the resurrection life of our Savior. And uh, we want to invite you to participate with us in that this morning. Before we start, before I read the call to worship, um, I just want to remind you that we've uh, emailed to you the song lyrics. So pull those up and sing along with us this morning. And also, if you have a prayer request... Um, if you would just uh, type those into the comments, and in a few minutes here, we're going to pray specifically over those things. And so we want to join together in prayer as the body of Christ. So please let us know what your requests are so we can uh, pray over those in the service this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, um, I'm going to read our call to worship out of Psalm 16 this morning. Psalm 16, this is a resurrection psalm. And it says... Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand our pleasures forevermore. And this morning we celebrate as those in Christ because as as the resurrected Jesus enjoys fullness of joy in God's presence, we, His people being united to Him in faith, get to enjoy in God's presence fullness of joy. As Jesus enjoys pleasures forevermore at the right hand of the Father, we His people get to enjoy and look forward to pleasures forevermore in the presence of the Father. And as Jesus enjoys His resurrection life, we His people get to enjoy and get to look forward to the resurrection life that we have in Him, through Him, and because of Him. If you would get your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. We'll be reading chapter one, verses one through three. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is the word of
1: the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before your throne right now, and God, we are humbled by the remembrance of your absolute victory over death, that death not only could not hold you, but you conquered death, defeated it utterly, embarrassingly, Lord, you, you crushed death for all of us, and now we can say with the Apostle Paul, oh death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? And so, Lord, I pray that the news, the good news of your resurrection, would have its intended effect—the the effect you intended—that it would, as as people hear it, Lord, that it would uh, not just invade their minds, but it would it would absolutely infiltrate their hearts, Lord God, and cause them to turn in remembrance of a God who is all victorious and, and more than that is all gracious. And I pray that wave after wave of free grace would flow through these words of this reminder of a risen Savior. And many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord, that many would call you, Lord, some for the first time, Lord, some who have grown lazy and, and and wayward in their faith, Lord God, would come running back to you, knowing that you are the source, that you are the fountain of all life. And Lord, I pray for those who are who are remaining faithful in trial, holding up under persecution, Lord God, that the, that the reminder of your risen life, of your resurrection life would spur them to continue in the good fight of faith, Lord God. Because, Lord, the promise of your resurrection is is that if we died with you, we shall also live with you, Lord God. And, Lord, we, we pray that, that you would hasten the day when all the reward of your suffering would be paid. And we will come and stand before you as you are because we see you as you are in resurrected, glorified bodies. Now, Lord, as I present the word, as I ask every week, Lord God, will you just... Put a rain on my tongue, Lord God. Put a rain on my heart, a rain on my mind, that I would speak your word with absolute, crystal clear clarity, Lord God. And that I would speak it accurately with all of the meaning that you intended. And Lord, that I wouldn't waver from that at all, Lord God. Would you protect the, those who are listening to me right now by guarding my mind, my mouth, my heart, Lord God. And I thank you for all of this in the sweet name of Jesus, the resurrected, risen, living Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. I am so glad to be with you this morning. This is unlike any Easter that any of us have ever experienced, and by the grace of God we'll ever experience again. Amen. (laughs) Um, Today is Easter, in case you didn't know, or as I prefer, Resurrection Day. Resurrection Day is a great day for us. It's a great day for us to remember uh, what Jesus Christ has done and what he's accomplished. And, and yet we all know, every one of us knows, that a secularized culture, increasingly secularized culture, um, has tried its best to seduce our attention, and to replace our joy over this most significant event in all of human history with a a much less important orgy of, of cuteness and candy and a mythical rabbit, which makes absolutely no sense at all when you consider the real meaning of what this day means. I always like to point this out, I've probably been pointing this out for the last three years, but if you ever want a a great sermon better than I could ever preach on the the real reason of Easter, you need to talk to Ellie Walt. She is like very well versed in the real meaning of uh, of Easter and she's ten years old. So she's she'll she'll so such a straight if you're not already. Um, but all this the seduction of the real meaning of Easter will not do for true believers. It, it just won't do for us. We fix our gaze on an empty tomb, a tomb that, that has no occupant in it. And we remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said that if, if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain, and our faith is in vain. And just a few verses later, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Aren't you glad that Jesus lives today? And so preaching, and faith, and and all of our belief, it all is validated by the fact that Jesus Christ is raised. The gospel message is absolutely vindicated by the living Christ. Now, I'm not a legalist. I want to set your mind at ease. I'm not a legalist. I I have to confess right here over however many people are watching that I have always had fun when my kids were little filling Easter baskets and snapping pictures of them in their brand new and yet extremely uncomfortable clothes. I like doing that. I I have a whole collection of those pictures over the years. Um, But So my point is not that it's a sinful thing, or you're, you're somehow failing if, if you celebrate this, this uh, holiday in any kind of secular way. That's not my point at all. But I do fear that the pull, there's this kind of gravitational pull on Christian families, and it's too weighted toward the meaningless elements of this commemoration of this holiday. And what's happened is that the truth of what happened so long ago in a Jerusalem cemetery has been diminished, if not lost, on our kids, and worse, on ourselves. And so, I want to encourage you this morning. Color eggs, hide eggs if you want to. Buy enough candy for your kids so that you are in debt for decades to your dentist. Uh, But if, if you have to do that, do it. But please... Do not regulate Jesus Christ' defeat of death to just an afterthought of your celebration. Will you promise me that? Keep it front and center. We, we, we must keep the resurrection front and center in our families and in our own hearts for 365 days a year. It's a shame that so often in churches we talk so little about the risen Christ except one day a year. No, God's intention is that this this would be a life-altering truth that would permeate our minds, saturate our hearts for over 365 days a year, that every waking thought would be about the resurrection of Christ. So why is this a struggle for us? I don't know how many messages I've preached on Easter's over the year. But the common theme of all of those messages is usually apologetic in nature. Now, when I say apologetic, um, this discipline of apologetics and proclaiming the word, it's not about saying I'm sorry for anything. We're not saying we're sorry for the gospel when we talk about apologetics. Apologetics means to lay out reasons for other people to believe. It, It basically means to answer their questions and give validity to the things that we believe. So every every Easter, I try to give those reasons, and I try to help people to believe in an actual, physical, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And and I try to include all the life-altering implications and benefits of believing in such a way. We worship a God. I want you to think about this this morning. No matter what other things you have planned for this this great day, We serve a God who cannot be killed. And on top of that, He has defeated death forever for all of us who believe. The only way to rejoice in Christ's resurrection, therefore, is is as an actual historical fact. If you believe in in a symbolic resurrection or a spiritual resurrection, that is not Christianity. We believe that Jesus Christ walked out of his tomb on an actual day in actual human history, and did so physically and visibly. We believe that with all of our hearts. And that fact is the central fact of all reality. It's not a religious fact, it's a a fact that, that impacts all of reality, it impacts all of life, all of truth, all of everything that would be called spiritually important, and it does so for all of eternity. Nothing is more important for us to believe. Nothing. And nothing is more important for us to teach our kids than the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, could our main problem... I want to throw something out of you that you might be tempted to dismiss right out of hand. But could our main problem in keeping the resurrection at the forefront of our minds be that at the root we don't really believe it. Now I know, I know, right now, I'm watching the list of people who are watching, I know that most of us would say we believe in the resurrection as a fact, but I'm asking you, do you believe in it more than you believe in, say, the War of 1812, or the invention of the light bulb? Do we believe in the resurrection in a way that has the power to inspire both hope in us as well as conviction, and that constantly draws us to the feet of Christ? See, Jesus was not raised secretly, as I said earlier. It, or He wasn't made known only to a select few. He was raised with plenty of verifiable evidence. He was, he was raised in such a way that our text tells us this morning of how He presented Himself alive to, the, to them, His followers, after His suffering by many proofs. And it says he, he appeared to them during 40 days speaking about the Kingdom of God. Now, I want you to understand what that verse is saying. For more than a month, Jesus displayed his resurrected body, offering many proofs. The NIV version of the Bible actually strengthens that phrase and says that he he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. And then if you flip over and dust off your old King James version of the Bible, it uses an even stronger word. It says that he presented himself alive with many infallible proofs. You can't get much stronger than that. And I want to uh, briefly examine three types of proof that Christ offered and still offers to this day of his resurrection. And my prayer is that these three types of proof that this this conversation will win your heart. It'll just like like a walled city, your heart will be captured like never before. The first type of proof of Jesus' resurrection, are physical proofs. Most of you have, have considered those and thought about those. These are the ones most apologetic books tend to focus on a lot. And these are tangible things that anyone could have seen with their physical eyes. If untrue, if these things were not true, then it would have made Christ's resurrection easy to refute and easy to dispute by those who would gain something by proving it false, like the Jewish leaders, for example. The soldiers, this is what I mean by physical proof, the soldiers had physical proof in the form of an angel who knocked them out cold. That's pretty physical proof. The, the, angel, the soldiers also had proof in the fact that a, a large boulder was just tossed aside like a piece of wadded up paper by the angels who knocked them out. The women, Peter and John, saw the inside of the empty tomb, and they saw those tightly wrapped mummy-like graves clothes that once enshrouded the Lord's body, just discarded and laid off to the side. Later, the gathered disciples even saw and spoke with Jesus, along with the women who served Him, and those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus, in those, in those meetings, allowed them to touch Him, and, and He said, Feel, I have flesh and bones. Thomas touched the nail prints in his hands, and and placed his hand in the place where the spirit pierced his side. On two occasions, Jesus actually ate in front of them for the sole purpose of proving he was not a ghost. And Paul tells us that in all, over 500 people saw the risen Lord. And most of them were still alive when, when Paul was writing this. And they had seen the risen Christ. Now you you might get a handful of people, if you wanted to, to perpetuate a hoax, you might get a handful of people to successfully falsify their testimony. But to get 500 people to do so stretches the limit, we would all agree on this, it stretches the limits of what's possible for the very best of hucksters, the very best of manipulators could could barely get 500 people to, to uh, commit to a hoax or a lie. And this leads to the next type of proof for the resurrection. Not only do we have physical proof, but we have what I call logical proof. Over 500 people saw Jesus alive. And Paul indicates, as I said, that most of them were still alive when he wrote that and could testify to what they had seen. Um, they so so you have this situation. You have all these people, hundreds of people that saw Jesus. He wrote this 20 years after the resurrection. So 20 years, there were still most of 500 people that could still say, "Yes, I saw him. This is what I saw. I touched him. I I, I spoke with him." They could they could do that. If this had been a hoax, don't you think somebody would have broken ranks over the course of 20 years? Chuck Colson was a special counsel to President Nixon during Watergate. And in the heat of the scandal, he became a committed believer in Jesus Christ. And he understood this logical proof, this aspect of logical proof of the resurrection, probably better than anyone else. He once said this, listen carefully, he said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroidered 12 of the world's most powerful men, and, uh, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that the 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. That's what Colson said. The disciples were commanded by the Jewish authorities in the book of Acts. Not to preach that Jesus had risen. And they were commanded that under threat of beatings, under threat of imprisonment, even under threat of death. But they kept preaching because they had seen something they could not unsee. A man who they knew very well, spent three years of their life with, who who they had watched brutally beaten, killed, watched him die before their very eyes, and they saw him, touched him, spoke with him, they saw him alive and well. My friends, that will change your life. They eventually began to make waves, not just in their Jewish nation, but across the entire Roman Empire. This went international. Peter kept preaching. And would not back down until he was crucified upside down by his own request because he didn't want to uh, be crucified in the same way that his, his Savior was. Paul just kept on preaching and writing until Nero had him beheaded. And others kept filling in the gaps left by those men and preaching no matter what the cost. Terrible persecutions, being fed to lions, being lit up to light Nero's garden parties. All of these men kept preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ along with many, many women because they they believed, they'd known that the Savior was risen. And it strains logic to believe that generation after generation of reasonable men and women would march headlong into death for a fable or a fairy tale or a lie. But the most important proof of Jesus' resurrection wasn't physical or logical. It was spiritual. And and I don't mean when I say spiritual proof that it was some kind of wispy, never-never-land version of of belief. I don't mean that that like the Mormons say, that that just read the Book of Mormon until you have a burning in your bosom. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that there was something that was supernatural, beyond what they saw, that, that happened to convince those who saw Jesus. It occurred to me, as I was preparing this message this week, That after Jesus' resurrection, not a single person recognized Him, not one, not a single person recognized Him until, that's a key word, until Jesus revealed to them who He was. I, look at look at with me. Look, take a look with me at each gospel's account and see what I'm talking about. Let's start with Matthew. In Matthew, the women receive news of the resurrection from the angel at the tomb, but they run off obeying the angel's command. The Bible tells us to go, to go tell the disciples. The angel tells them to go tell the disciples. They run off obeying that command with two things. The Bible says they run off with great joy. Could it be true? And they run off with great fear. What if it's not true, they didn't know. And so they run off like this, and they wonder, could this this good news actually be true? But Jesus shows up as they're running off to tell them to, and to tell the disciples. And Jesus is really funny. The word in the ESV is greetings, but but it literally just means hi. Can you imagine Jesus meeting them on the road and saying, "Hey guys, what's up? Hello, how are you?" And the Bible says that the response to this reality of the the revelation of Jesus, they grab onto his feet and they worship him. Move on over to Mark. In Mark, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. But when she goes to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive, nobody believes her. Luke says that the men uh, thought that the women that came running to tell them were just telling them an idle tale. Peter runs to the tomb and just gazes in, and he eventually returns home Marveling, not knowing what to make of it all. Luke also gives us the story that I mentioned earlier of the two downcast disciples on the road to Emmaus, their faces downcast because their, their Savior had been crucified, who though they meet Jesus on the road, they cannot recognize Him. And when Jesus finally appears to His disciples, later in, in the, the story, they think that they're seeing a ghost, and Jesus has to tell them, hey, feel, I've got flesh and bones, I'm not a, I'm not a ghost. In John, in the Gospel of John, Mary, who has spent much time with Jesus, one of his closest companions outside of the disciples, Mary has spent much time with Jesus, sees him at the tomb, and what does she do? She thinks he's the gardener. Thomas doesn't believe at all until he sees him, until he touches him. He says, I have to touch the wounds in his hands or I'm not going to believe anything. The other disciples saw him on the seashore in John 21, And they were fishing, but they didn't recognize him either. But for Mary at the tomb, this is what I want you to hear. For Mary at the tomb, everything changed when Jesus simply spoke her name. For the men on the road, it was when Jesus gave thanks as he broke the bread. After touching Jesus, Thomas worshipped him as his Lord and his God. The disciples in the boat knew that it was him when they heard his voice. See, these people hadn't forgotten Jesus' face in a matter of a couple days. They sure didn't forget his voice. They they didn't... It's it's, it's more than that. It's that something supernatural was happening. A preacher, like myself, can study apologetics up one side and down the other and give you a whole list of reasons to believe in the resurrection. He can make all the necessary, logical arguments to help you believe. But listen to me carefully. If Jesus doesn't reveal Himself as alive to you, it is all for nothing. Jesus Himself must reveal Himself as alive to you personally. In Matthew When Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives to ascend to His Father, this is the most puzzling scripture, I think, in the entire book of Matthew. Jesus goes physically up to the Mount of Olives with a whole bunch of people to ascend to His Father, His last act on on earth before He returns. And this is what we read in Matthew 26, 17. It says, And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. And I wish there was a period after that. I really do. But it says, When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. Now can you explain that to me? They worshiped him but some doubted. These weren't just random strangers. These were people that knew Jesus. They they saw Jesus there physically. They heard his voice as he was blessing them for the last time and yet some of them doubted. How is that even Possible? Some of you have fantasized that if you could be in a church service or in your home and Jesus would walk in in physical form, that would do amazing things for your faith and your ability to believe. But what I'm saying to you is that there's something more that has to happen than just physically seeing Jesus. Some worshipped and some doubted. How is that possible? Even though we can assume... That all the people gathered on the mountain knew Jesus and and looking right at him. Could it be that Jesus had revealed himself with spiritual proof that he presented himself as alive to those who worshiped while those who doubted were scratching their heads? How is this possible? I know dead don't rise. How could this be possible? I don't get this. This is, there's got to be something more to this. They're trying to figure out how this could be. Or if it was even possible that it could be. And could this be because Jesus in his sovereignty had not spiritually revealed himself to them? I think this holds up scripturally. John 6, 663 uh, 6, says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. So what I'm telling you is that your, your hands that touch a physical Christ, your eyes that see him, can actually be of no help to you at all because it's the Spirit that gives life. It's the Spirit that confirms the resurrection life of Jesus. In you you can't discover God's truth with human senses or human intellect, no matter what the evidence is. God must reveal what is truth to you for it to profit you at all. John the Baptist confirmed this as well. He said, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. It's spiritual proof of the risen Christ that we need this morning. If you're a skeptic this morning, if you're an unbeliever, if you just kind of wandered onto our stream and you don't know Jesus Christ, I can tell you that the the that the the resurrection of Jesus Christ is is historically uh, reliable. You can buy books like uh, the, the uh, Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter, and it'll prove that beyond any shadow of a doubt with physical evidence. But the physical evidence is not enough. You need the Spirit of God to awaken you to the reality this morning that Jesus. Christ is alive. Now you may wonder, how can the risen Christ reveal himself to me since, if my historical timeline is right, he ascended to the Father over 2,000 years ago? Well, a moment ago, I mentioned a guy I have a lot of respect for, a man named Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, as I mentioned, was the, the uh, White House counsel for President Nixon. And and at the worst time of the Nixon presidency, right when all the, the uh, Watergate stuff was going down. And Chuck Colson uh, was, was when he was working for, for Nixon, he was not, by any stretch of the imagination, a religious man. He was known in the press as Nixon's hatchet man. You've heard of Nixon's famous enemies list. Well, guess who uh, put that together for President Nixon? Yes, it was Chuck Colson that did that. He, he was not a nice man. He wasn't a good man. He wasn't a religious man by any stretch. He wasn't even a backslidden Christian. He wasn't. There was nothing religious about him at all. He was known as Nixon's hatchet man. One of the, the magazines of the day called him the evil genius of an evil administration. How'd you like to have that on your tombstone? When Watergate started to heat up, he was doing what most of us would do. He was working with his lawyers, because his hands were deep into Watergate and all the scandals of it. And So he was working with his lawyers to avoid prosecution and and avoid jail time and, and all of the things that would come with that, the national shame. But something happened. In 1973, a year before President Nixon resigned, in 1973 Chuck Colson met with a friend, who shared Christ with him. And as part of that evangelistic effort, this man gave Chuck Colson a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I hope you've read that. If you haven't, you need to. But in this book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis has a chapter on the absolute disease of human pride. And Chuck Colson, sitting alone in his car, sitting in a driveway in his car, read that entire chapter about human pride. And the Holy Spirit, when he did, convicted him, pierced his soul, and showed him what a proud, arrogant, angry, terrible, sinful man that he was. And he saw, for the first time in his life, that he had a desperate need for a Savior to come and rescue him from his sins, or that he would die and be destroyed in his sins. And so there, sitting in his car, late night, no one around, he wept and wept, and wept, and eventually surrendered his life and his future to the Lord Jesus Christ. When the press found out about his conversion, because it kind of leaked, somebody had said something to someone else, and you know how that goes. When the press found out about his conversion, he was mocked as a fraud. It was reported that religion was his strategy to get the courts to go easy on him, because the heat was already starting to get to a boil. But the nation was shocked the whole nation was shocked when a reborn Chuck Colson changed his legal strategy midstream and pled guilty to all that he had done wrong. And as a result of this, it cost him seven months in a federal prison. His conscience though demanded that he speak the truth after receiving so great a forgiveness from his Lord and Savior. What happened? What happened? to make the hatchet man a holy man. The risen Christ had revealed himself to Chuck Colson, and he could never go back, ever, and deny what he had seen. Chuck Colson left politics, and he went on to found a ministry that still exists to this day called Prison Fellowship. And and Prison Fellowship is an international ministry that, that... Constantly serves and preaches the gospel to the men and women behind bars, even as they're forgotten by everyone else. He preached and, and, and his ministry still preaches to men and women all over the world who are behind bars. And he did this until his death in 2012. Jesus had revealed himself by Colson, and he was never ever the same. So today I want to ask you to search your heart still yourself for a moment, search your heart, and ask yourself this question. Is the actual physical, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ merely a religious assumption to you? Yeah, you've heard it all your life, been in church, Sunday school, you've heard it all your life, and so sure you believe that. Is it just a religious assumption? Is it a fact that you filed away because someone told you it was true? On the other hand, has Christ met you by his tomb in that garden and spoken your name? Has Christ called you by name? Has he extended his hands to you that you might experience his wounds by faith? When we break bread around the tables week in and week out, do you see him like the disciples at Emmaus? Has he revealed himself to you in a way that makes it utterly impossible for you to turn back now? If not, may I suggest, may I plead, forget suggestion, may I plead, may I beg, for you to make it your highest priority to seek Jesus out. Go like Mary did to the tomb and say, where have you laid him? Do that by faith. Say, where have you laid him? I need to see. Jesus. Insist like Thomas to see Him and to touch Him. Like Peter, jump out of whatever boat you find yourself in this morning and swim to Him as fast as you can. That's what faith looks like. We have a wonderful promise in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. It says, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. If you run to Jesus... He's going to reveal Himself to you. Make seeking Jesus your highest priority. And I promise you this. Forget what I promise. The Word of God promises you that if you seek Him, you will not be denied. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You as Your body. We thank You that You are risen. We thank You that death is defeated. We thank You that that all the power of hell is broken because You live. And you you live at this moment, Lord, to make intercession for us at the right hand of your Father. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. And I ask that right now, there are many that uh, claim to be Christian, Lord, that, that have no sense of the reality of your resurrection. Will you just invade them? Will you meet them on the road this morning, Lord God, and say, Hi, will you meet them, Lord? Reveal yourself as raised, Lord God, in such a way that even like Peter and Paul, if it costs them their very life, they can never turn away. They can never unsee what they saw, Lord God, by faith in the Spirit. Will you add to their physical proof, their logical proof, and will you add spiritual proof to the reality of your resurrection this morning, Lord God? Will you just show up in ways that they don't expect. Lord, there's another group of people that are watching that do not know you. Some think they do, some know they don't, but Lord, if they don't know you, Lord, will you rise like you did with with Paul on the road to, to Damascus, Lord God, and knock them off their horse, Lord God? Blind them with the light of your glory and holiness, Lord God, and show yourself to be alive to them, Lord God, so that they can put their trust in you and really, really enjoy this greatest of all historical realities, Lord Jesus. God, I just ask you to pour yourself out on all the people watching this video right now, Lord, that they would put their trust in you, that they would long for you, that they would hunger for you, that they would come to your table and feast on your life and drink of your life-cleansing blood, Lord God, that just washes away all of our sins, Lord Jesus. And then just like the, the those believers on the road to Emmaus, that, they would be, that you would be made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just place your hands in a receiving position? I want to just proclaim a benediction over you this morning. This is the prayer. This is the the thing that sums up everything I've just said to you. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I love you, and we'll see you soon.